This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've lived and worked in Fayetteville, Arkansas for almost 30 years, and I started self-work five years ago in order to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very interested in psychological, emotional issues. Maybe you're in therapy as well, but would enjoy another perspective. To the group of you who might just have been diagnosed with something and you're looking for answers or you're having a relationship issue that you just can't seem to settle or find a way through, but also to a third group of you. To those of you who might sit around and tell your friends, ah, that therapy stuff, that's for the birds, I'd never do it, but you're curious enough or sadly unhappy enough to want to listen to self-work. So welcome to all of you. Here we are on the cusp of 2022, and many of you will be trying once again to have a New Year's resolution. I'm not a huge fan of those, but building self-confidence would certainly be a worthy one. In this second time around for this episode, as my team and I take a break during the holidays, I'll tell the story again about a patient who'd begun to find her own self-confidence when she said, I realized that what I needed, I'd had all along. It's like the ruby red slippers. You simply have to know their power and your own power. I wasn't able to forget that analogy. We all have the capacity to learn, to understand, to see, and to have confidence in ourselves. But we can sabotage and discount our strengths, values, talents, and gut feelings. In this episode, I decided to trust my own red slippers and allow my own mind and heart to create a list of 10 things that I think can build self-confidence. So in this episode, sponsored by BetterHelp, with humility, I bring that to you. The listener email is from a man who writes that he's begun having symptoms of anxiety and panic at a time when he and his wife having troubles, and she wants a separation. What would you say? So now, on to 205, how to build your self-confidence, with a little help from one of my own patients. In the intro, I mentioned a comment one of my own patients had made. I'll repeat it quickly. I'm paraphrasing now, but she said, I realized that what I'd needed, I'd had all along. It's like the ruby red slippers. You simply have to know their power and your own power. This analogy blew me away in its truth and simplicity. Maybe some of you don't know what the ruby red slippers are. They were worn by Dorothy of the Wizard of Oz. And all she had to do was click them to take her home to Kansas, which is where she longed to be. And that power was at her very fingertips, or <laughs> our toes, if we want to be literal. And she simply needed to realize it. Of course, what made it more obvious to those that were watching the movie was that the Tin Man, Scarecrow, Lion, the Witch, and even Oz himself were dream reflections for real people in her life. But, back to my point. My patient's gut had been right all the time, that what she'd experienced as a child was highly damaging. And she knew it then, but had to turn off her own emotions about it. She had to ignore her own hurt and look the part that her parents expected her to look, accepting her crazy life as normal. 
Now she begins to reconnect with those memories. She's letting go of that facade and coming to emotional grips with what really happened. So much of this has been evolving through the years, but now she's seeing the dynamic much more clearly, in part because her own confidence in herself and her perceptions have grown. It's a perfect storm, but in a good way. So here is a list of 10 considerations when you're trying to build your own self-confidence, ideas about what it is and what self-confidence isn't. So here we go. Number one, self-confidence doesn't mean you know it all. It doesn't ride on being right. In fact, people who are secure and confident don't need to be seen as right. Self-confidence means you know what you believe and you're also open to learning. You respect your own perspective, but realize it's not the absolute truth. And guess what? It won't throw you when you realize you could have looked at it a different way and gotten a different outcome. Self-confidence isn't about having to have control. It means taking stock of what you know and what you're learning, and then you risk to make a choice in a certain direction. Number two, you recognize your talents and skills. List them. I've known far too many people who cannot tell me what their talents or strengths are. So I ask them why their friends want to be around them. What kinds of questions do people ask them? Ask others to tell you what your strengths are if you don't know. Why do they like you? And then when you can recognize your talents and skills, you practice them and build on them. You focus on them and they'll grow. When I was struggling to just become a writer of any kind, I was lucky enough to be featured on the Good Men Project and I took their writer's training. And what they said was, really something that stuck with me very hard was that they said, every time you sit down to write, even if it's an email, make it the best email you possibly can. And that's what I started doing. Rather than just jauntily saying something to someone, I really took some thought in my sentence structure and that kind of thing, not in a laborious way, not in a way where I just spent hours and hours on it, but I paid attention and I think it helped. Here's number three. Stop catastrophizing making mistakes. Self-confident people don't do that. That fear will paralyze you. Mistakes show others you're human, like everyone else. Know that you can't control everything. And how are you going to learn if you don't risk making mistakes? You know, I've done a fair amount of theater in my lifetime. And maybe it's been my mistake on stage or maybe another character. But I promise you, entrances are missed, lines are dropped, and this is a live performance. Even whole pages of the script can be skipped, and the show must go on. You learn to fight through all that, all the while keeping character. In fact, I actually had my skirt fall off one time. The Velcro came loose, and all I did was step out of it and throw it gaily to someone else in the cast. Luckily, I had on a petticoat. And incredulously, most people in the audience thought it was part of a show. I wouldn't wish for it to happen again, but I learned a lot. Here's number four. Admit when you're afraid. You frequently heard me say on self-work, the glass is half empty and half full by definition. Any experience has half full parts and half empty parts. Self-confidence is knowing that you can connect with the emotions when that glass feels half empty, but you live in the glass half full. Self-confidence isn't acting as if you're not afraid all the time. In fact, the most self-confident people I know the ones that seem to rise from the ashes also have been able to allow themselves to feel overwhelmed, to admit fear, to feel sorrow. It's just that they don't stay there. Those are the first four. We'll go on with six more 
after this message from BetterHelp. They have a special offer just for you. BetterHelp has now been a sponsor of Self-Work for a few months, and I've been hearing how pleased you are with their services. I couldn't be more excited about that, as by now you know I'm a huge believer myself in the power of therapy. What is BetterHelp? It's an online therapy service that has earned the number one ranking for the quality of their service to their consumers. When you contact them, you are offered several different licensed professional therapists to choose from, all that have been vetted by BetterHelp. You can have sessions via video, text, or phone. And I found, because of course I checked it out before recommending it to you, that each therapist was very available, literally a text away, and made some of the same therapeutic suggestions to me that I'd offer myself as a therapist. Here's an excerpt from a listener who wrote in, I'm a 23-year-old living in Brazil. I'm only writing this message in order to express my gratitude towards you and your podcast. Having anxiety disorder, I always felt like I needed therapy, but I was too anxious to start it. With self-work, not only I've learned some valuable insights about dealing with my condition, but also the basics of how therapy sessions work, which allowed me to finally get some courage to start it. With the coronavirus pandemic, I'd also been concerned about attending personal sessions, but then I learned about better help in your podcast, and it sounded just perfect for what I needed. I've been getting online counseling from BetterHelp for six weeks now, and I feel like it's been helping me a lot. That's just so wonderful to hear. And now, BetterHelp has a special offer for you. 10% off the first month of sessions if you use this link. Trybetterhelp.com slash selfwork. That's trybetterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash selfwork. I'm never more honored than hearing someone sought therapy after listening to selfwork. And if selfwork is helping you, Maybe BetterHelp is your next step. Here's number five. Know if you're a plunger or a slower goer. (laughs) And things will go better if you dip one toe in the water at a time. I'm definitely a plunger. When I started self-work, I think I'd listen to three podcasts. So my husband often has to remind me that the tortoise won the race, not the hare. The plunger might seem more daring, but perhaps they also have miscalculated just how deep the water is. Yet sometimes plunging is good because you have to release a lot of fear right at the very beginning and just do it, as Nike would say. Slower goers may shame themselves that they're not a plunger, but going slow can be a strength because they allow much more learning to accrue along the way. My point is that there's no right or wrong way as long as you know yourself well and choose a method of growing and risking that fits your values and personality. Here's number six. Again, this is a list of things to think about and try to develop self-confidence. Act as if. This is actually a psychologically skill or technique or an ego skill, as we say. Let's say someone wants to feel more confident. So I ask them, what do confident people look like? How do they walk? What do they wear? What did they say when they see someone they know? What's the difference between a quiet confidence and a bolder confidence? What, again, do these different confidences look like? These may seem like superficial questions, but confidence is something that's assumed because of a stereotype of what we believe a strongly confident person acts like or a quietly confident person acts like. And you can actually practice those behaviors, and as you do, you will almost automatically take on more self-confidence. Again, I'll go back to my theater. 
for example, we may be doing a show at a time when women wore corsets, which I have done, and we practice in corsets because we want to walk like women who wore corsets. So how you're dressed, all those things can help you assume an identity. And then you can practice those behaviors. I often recommend that people try out these new skills with perfect strangers in the grocery store, not in an intrusive way. But if you're standing beside someone, ask a question, walk like a confident person. Hopefully you're getting the gist of this. Number seven, don't assume inferiority to others. Let's say you have a son or a daughter and they say to you, oh, I'd never be able to do that. I'm not as good as Johnny or Josie or Joanna. What do you typically say? You might say, it's true, you might not be as good as X. And that's okay to know that for now. Yet letting that stop you from learning and trying your hardest if it's something you really want, that would be a terrible thing. That's what you tell them. So you might become better, but you shouldn't let your competition with others, and thus someone having to be better or worse, rule you. Be your own judge of you. And what is that whole saying? Be to the sound of your own drummer. Competition takes the joy out of life and is destructive. And so, be your own judge of you. Here's number eight. Know that you don't have to feel self-confident in everything. We all have niches. Write down what you value and let your confidence shine there. Your confidence in the choices you make in your life aren't going to look like anyone else's because your values are different, your talents are different. I love to cook and I value eating healthy food. So some of my confidence is in my cooking. I've practiced it, and I find it very self-motivating. But I've talked many times to people whose lives are filled with them trying to do something well that really doesn't mean much to them. It doesn't align with their values. So I'll ask, do you find joy there? Or are you doing that because everyone in your neighborhood does it or your friends do it? One of the most fascinating things I love to learn about people is how and where they've discovered their own pockets of confidence and joy. Maybe it's glass making. Maybe it's helping people get organized. Maybe it's building houses or being a writer. You can be self-confident in that niche. It doesn't have to mean you look confident in other niches, not at all. Your confidence can find its home in letting your talents show. And here's number nine. What about humility? I don't think that's the opposite of self-confidence, or I think both can be present. Now, people with narcissistic traits don't have real self-confidence. Instead, they have a vast need for affirmation and will often build a very seductive facade of charm and power where there is no humility, only very painful insecurity which has to be hidden. In true self-confidence, both it and humility can coexist. There is a famous quote, The older I am, the less I know. And I feel that for sure. And what about the last one? This one actually was born just this morning because I'd already written this yesterday. But as I was walking, I was listening to a conversation between Lewis Howes and Rachel Platten of the Fight Song fame. And they were talking about ego. And all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, self-confidence isn't the same as ego. Because when ego takes over, ego is a need to feel special to be liked or in social media to garner mounds of attention. True self-confidence isn't a need. It's something you claim in yourself that doesn't have as much to do with success or failure, being popular or not popular. Self-confidence is a place to live, and when it's accompanied by self-acceptance, you can make mistakes, you can even look foolish. But you can remain living in your confidence, because you can learn, 
And in fact, you know you're always learning. Those are my 10 suggestions to you about how to build your self-confidence. I feel a little more self-confident, even myself, that I risk sharing my own thoughts. The listener email today, as I said in the intro, is a nod to Movember, M-O-V-E-M-B-E-R, which is a group that's come on the scene that is trying to focus on men's medical and mental issues. So this email was from a man. I'll read it to you. I've just started listening to your podcast while trying to understand myself and the issues I'm going through. I've been married eight years and we have a four-year-old daughter. My wife and I have been having more and more issues as of late, and I'm struggling to understand how and why it has gotten so bad between us. We've had two big fights this year, resulting in us shelving the issues and leaving a lot of questions unanswered. She wants space and possibly to seek separation. I cannot cope with this well and have been having panic attacks, mood swings, and I have trouble sleeping. I feel that these are some forms of grief due to the loss of our relationship. But after hearing about perfectly hidden depression, I think many of my issues with this relationship and others are a result of me battling depression. Anyway, I wanted to let you know that because of listening to you, I've been inspired to seek therapy. I want to be a better husband, father, and person, so I think this is my best option. I always feel so good when people have listened to self-work and then seek therapy themselves. But my answer at first was pretty much encouraging him about continuing therapy and giving him more information about perfectly hidden depression. But in thinking about it, I also wanted to offer a few more ideas to him, and I actually wrote him back and told him I was going to include his email in this podcast. So I hope you're listening. There are a couple of potential clues in the short paragraph he writes. First, he seems like the kind of person who doesn't blame, but is looking for his own part in creating a problem. That can be good if it's not taken too far, and he takes all of the responsibility. But another clue as to what's wrong is that their fights are leading nowhere, and instead of helping clear the air, the problem is shelved. Somewhere, maybe one or both of these people have learned that conflict is to be avoided at all costs. You can call it risk aversion, conflict avoidance, and sometimes two people are attracted to each other because no one gets angry, or at least no one admits anger. It's gotten so bad or lonely or something for her that she's considering separation, and he's becoming frantic. So, what's getting triggered in him? What's getting in the way of him saying something like, If you need some time, I understand, but I think we've both been creating a relationship where too many things aren't getting talked about and learned from, so I'd like for both of us to go to counseling to see if we could change those habits or something like that. Instead, he's panicked. That would make me wonder if perhaps he'd been abandoned in any way in the past, or if some other past hurt is getting triggered by her talking about leaving. Not that you wouldn't be anxious if you thought the person you loved might leave, but maybe it's a little too paralyzing to him. As you've heard me say here on Self Work, if you're overreacting or underreacting to something, then that's a clue that something is triggering hurt from the past that's never been connected with or resolved in any way. The pain is just hanging around, waiting to be discovered, growing more potent, and actually, I think, in panic attacks, it's almost like that part of you is trying to shoot up flares or messages to you. I'm panicked to clue you in that something bigger needs to be addressed. I also heard him loud and clear saying, you know, I think I've been depressed and didn't even allow myself to see it. Wow, that's huge. 
and he can see depression's impact in other relationships as well. I have no idea whether or not this man's marriage will make it, but I can hear so much potential for change and emotional growth in him. That makes me very hopeful. So I do hope you're listening and that you can absorb the idea that you're already a good person. You just got something to learn, like all of us. So thanks as always for being here. I'm very grateful to you that you take the time to listen to self-work and make it a part of your day or week. And I hope this series of second time arounds will be something you really enjoy. Of course, my book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, is available on Amazon or wherever you buy books or at your library. And I would love for you to pick up a copy, especially if you're someone who keeps pretty tight control over their emotions. You just may not be realizing, unless you respond to the term perfectly hidden depression, that you have things that you've been keeping secret or silent for way too long. And it would be very helpful and healing to address some of them. My book will help you do just that. And of course, to any and all of you who've left ratings and reviews, or I would think about leaving a rating and review on Amazon for Perfectly Hidden Depression, I would so appreciate it. As well, for self-work, anywhere you listen, especially on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. They're by far the larger of the listening platforms, but all of them are important. If you'd leave me a written review, too, that would be awesome. Quite a holiday gift for me and for self-work. There are many ways to reach out to me. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com, and you can subscribe there, and you'll get a weekly newsletter with my blog post, my podcast, and any bonus episodes or things I'm going to do or be involved in. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com, and you can write me a question or a comment. You can also leave me a comment or a voicemail on SpeakPipe, which is found in your show notes, but also on my website. I have a Facebook closed group at facebook.com slash group slash self-work. And last but not least, I have a new interactive podcast using the iPhone Fireside app. It's called Self-Work Chat, and it's where you and I can actually talk. So if you go to firesidechat.com slash Margaret Rutherford, again, firesidechat.com slash Margaret Rutherford and request access to Fireside, hopefully you can join me there sooner rather than later. I'm so grateful again you are here and are here every week. Tell your friends. That would be fantastic. Please take very good care. As always, I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.